In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman, for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have, finally, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history, laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com. This is uh, Jim Fetzer, your host on The Real Deal. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. It looks like one of those scenes of an old building being purposely dynamited and blown. When we are successful, I'm just a patsy, and we will be. We're ready to make uh, to come to the microphone, so we'll listen up. A new world order. So my name is Robbie Parker. It might have appeared that way, but from my close-up inspection, there's no evidence of a plane having crashed anywhere near the Pentagon. Let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories concerning the attacks of September the 11th. President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Live from the Media Broadcasting Center. 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 This is uh, Jim Fetzer, your host on The Real Deal, where I have uh, two very special guests today. Uh, one, Ole Domagard, uh, internationally renowned for his research on on uh, false flags and covert activities. Uh, uh, a second, uh, very much unknown to the world, but where we want to change that uh, today, uh, Cody Snodgrass, who is a longtime independent black ops and CIA a contract agent who has become uh, working for the uh, come forward to blow the whistle about events in which he's been involved. Uh, Oli, would you like to say a few words about Cody before we begin? I would very much like to do that. Uh, about a year ago, uh, I was contacted uh, by Cody, who started telling me his story. He had uh, been involved in many different operations, and uh, in... Uh, 1994, I believe it was, he was offered a million dollars to blow up the um, the Alfred P. Murray building in Oklahoma City. If you remember this horrific, horrific mass murder that was uh, blamed on Timothy McVeigh, who was later executed for it. And Cody explained that he had been offered this job before, but was totally outraged and uh, turned it down. And at that point, from being an, a covert asset to the CIA, he became uh, a risk instead. And uh, we, he's going to tell us a lot about this. Also, how he ended up on maximum security, uh, three uh, cells down from, from where Timothy McVeigh was, even at the time when he was executed. And uh, I would just say that uh, over this year uh, and our conversations, so I've come to trust Cody with my life almost. 
and I will stand by his side. Whatever he says, I can back it. Not the details, but his uh, serenity and his uh, honesty that I can vouch for. So it's a real honor and pleasure. And I also want to say that I salute his bravery to step forward because he has been, they've been trying to take him out several times. He's died twice, flatlined, and they, they helped him back in the hospital. Uh, they attacked him with cars. And I, I mean, the, his story is just incredible. And still, after all of these years, he has the courage to face these very, very dark and sinister forces. So I really applaud that. Cody, that's quite a stunning endorsement coming from Ole Damagard, whom I know so very well. He certainly believes you to be the real deal, and I am inclined to accept his evaluation as 100% accurate. I recall at the time there were numerous reports that the story was not as we were being told. For example, there were two seismic reports, one from the fertilizer bomb, which was relatively modest, Another, far more substantial from the actual explosive that destroyed about half of this massive building. In fact, some of us have speculated that it might have have to have been done with mini or micro nukes, but let me not anticipate. Cody, welcome to The Real Deal. I'm very pleased to have you here. Tell us about how you became engaged with uh, the the dark side here of the American government and, and, and move from there. Okay, thanks, Jim, and uh, thanks, Ole. Uh, we really appreciate all the work you guys have done over the past, and all your listeners. We're all in this together to try to expose the truth. And uh, I just, uh, I had told Ole earlier this morning. I went through a brief history of how I got to be uh, where we were, and um, we don't have time here in just an hour to to uh, go through all that history. But uh, people can hear it on uh, videos and that uh, Ole's going to uh, put out. So right now um, we can focus with beginning in, in, in October of 94. I was offered that job to, to bomb the Murrah building by uh, another CIA uh, uh, contractor, Harold Leonard was his name. He's deceased now, so I can say his name. And anything that we talk about here, I, I want to follow the uh, 1982 Intelligence Identities Protection Act. That's the IIPA. U.S. Code Title uh, 50 and Section 421, 426. I don't want to, uh, and it's illegal to, you know, say any operative names or anything like that. And and you probably know, Jim, that CI officer, uh, John Caracou, if I'm saying his name right. He's the one that blew the whistle first on the uh, CI's RDI, the Rendition Detention and Interrogation Program. And he named a CI officer who was active, and uh, he got sent to, uh, 30 months in U.S. federal prison and was sentenced January 2013. So I don't want to do that, and I'm not going to name any names unless the guys are dead or uh, uh, otherwise uh, not operational. So anyway, Harold Leonard is deceased, and he offered me that job. I turned it down, and um, then about, let's see, uh, six just out of later. Cody, uh, just out of curiosity, on what ground did you turn it down? Um, I was at the end of my... Uh, career and I had severe PTSD. I'd been, I'd already died twice in the hospital and been shocked back. Uh, and so I was, uh, I've had a lot of broken bones and various medical issues. And so, uh, the main ground that I turned it down on when he offered me the job, I'll just tell you a brief story. Harold Little called me. We went to a, uh, 
secure location under the tree canopies so we can be photographed by satellites or whatever, no electronic uh, equipment at all. And he had half a million dollars in a backpack, his purple and black backpack, and he said, we've got a, uh, a job for you. And I said, okay, what country are you going to, Saudi Arabia, Nicaragua, what is it? Um, he said, no, it's here in the States. And I said, well, what kind of job is it? He said, it's an EOD job, explosives demolitions, a bombing job. And uh, I said, well, what is it? And he said, uh, we want you to bomb a federal building. And I said, what? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, which one is it? And he said, it's the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building down in Oklahoma City. And when he said that, I lost it. I just went off on him, and I told him, uh, you know, I am not going to do something like that. I said, these are our own American people, and I will not do that. My my uh, dad was at Pearl Harbor and Guadalcanal. He was a Missouri State Highway Patrolman for 32 years. Um, I was patriotic. I told him I don't mind going to Saudi Arabia or somewhere and doing that, but I am not going to do it here to our own people. And I said, you guys have went too far this time, and I don't want anything to do with this. And that was the point at which I turned from an asset into a liability. And so that was basically my break. One of my handlers, he's also deceased now. His name was Duke Flaglier. He was uh, in 63 with the 20th uh, Special Forces Group at uh, uh, Bragg, I think it was. Uh, no, it was Benning. And uh, he'd been over in Nam with two tours with Barry Sadler and all those guys. And he was one of my handlers here in the States. He called me a couple of days later, and he said, you need to leave the U.S. And I said, why? And he, he says, you've turned from an asset to a liability. You need to get out of there. Because evidently he knew that there was a bombing out coming up here domestically. And so anyway, I turned that down on patriotic grounds is, is the main thing. Yeah, and of course it involved murdering women and children. I mean, a lot of innocent civilians. So, I mean, I certainly think you did the right thing in turning it down, and I'm very glad you're talking about it now. Uh, what what were your feelings when you discovered it had taken place? Well, that was six months later, you know, on April 19th, 95. Um, I didn't know anything about it after that. I, I was trying to walk away from almost 20 years of uh, black ops, and you can't just quit it like you do a job at Walmart and give two weeks' notice. So uh, anyway, when that did happen... I immediately went back. Um, we had fake IDs disguised as standard trade craft that we employed in our, our operations. And uh, I disappeared out of here, and I went down to Oklahoma. I used, uh, you know, fake fake everything, fake licenses, fake drivers. We had all that stuff. Uh, I used some drop vehicles, and I got down to some safe houses we had because in 19, the early 1980s, I was a petroleum geophysicist at Amoco Production Company in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That was my civilian front for our black ops. I was involved in all the operations in Arkansas there with Bill and Hillary Clinton and Centaur Rose, Jade Bridge, Screw Worms, all that stuff, supplying the Nicaraguans with the arms and all that. So we had a series of safe houses in the Oklahoma area, and the friends I went to see had uh, worked for the CIO in Vietnam, and um, using the Army as their front. And so I went down there and hid out, and I had a lot of protection. And meanwhile, we were watching all the civilian blowback from the uh, the Oklahoma thing. I knew there was going to be a massive cover-up. I knew that that was a patchy operation. When Harold Leonard first gave me that job, 
I mean, there's no way that million dollars is nothing. I I wouldn't even consider a job like that for fifteen or twenty million. Um, that was way too sensitive. I knew it was a patsy operation. I knew that I was going to be retiring in um, uh, March of 1995, and uh, I think they were trying to do two things. They were trying to shut me up from all the stuff I knew and they kill me as a patsy. That's why I didn't take the job, and they ended up taking it. And so when I went down there, I was just uh, hiding out, and I was uh, afraid that they were going to kill me because I knew about it. I was an operational risk to the cover-up that was going to follow in the Oklahoma City bombing. And I imagine you know others who have been taken out because they were likewise similar risks for knowledge they possessed about other ops, or was uh, this uh, more or less unique in your history? No, no, no. I I knew I, I did bodyguard work as well. One of the jobs we were offered uh, was to bodyguard Barry Sadler, the staff sergeant. Uh, a lot of older guys from Vietnam know him. He stepped on a punji stick in Pleiku in the highlands of Vietnam in 65 and got a bad infection, went down to Subic Bay, Philippines uh, medical facility there, and then... Um, wrote the Ballad of the Green Beret, which was a number one hit single back here in the States in 65. And so uh, Barry Sadler had been down in Guatemala, and he was uh, working. He was doing a lot of covert arms deals and stuff. This story's never been before made public. But he he was down there uh, working. And uh, in September 8th of 1988, he was killed. Um, I was hired to bodyguard him two weeks before that happened and uh i was fixing to be operationally deployed down there to to do that job and uh two weeks before that time a cia assassin his name is rosin um he was from the phoenix project in vietnam and they pulled him out of mothballs to hit sadler down there and he was laying on the top of a bar in Guatemala City, and Barry walked out, and he shot him in the back of the head with the 380 auto. It uh, hit the skull, but it didn't penetrate, and it went around the side between the skin and the skull and exited uh, above the left eye, I believe it was. So he was transferred to the civilian hospital in Guat City, and then uh, he had to fake a coma because he he didn't want to appear conscious because he figured the CIA would dress up the guys with the you know, and the doctors would come in sure. and uh, give him a shot. Right. Shot. Yeah. Finish him off, yeah. So, yeah, so Duke Flagler, uh, one of my principals, he died of Agent Orange cancer, so I can use his name now. Um, he went with that. I think it was Robert Brown who runs the Soldier Fortune thing. They went down there, and they got him, and they extracted him, and they brought him back here to the States in a series of safe houses, and they kept bouncing him around to protect him. And then uh, they ended up in Tennessee, near Memphis, I think his Barry's mother was there somewhere, and then Barry died up here in the States. That's a true story. And so um, what I was told after we found out Barry was shot, I was just fixing to go down there to bodyguard him, and I flew to Atlanta where uh, Duke Clayleter was. He had done two tours in, in Nam and was now working as a, a um, asset for the agency as well. Uh, I met him, and he was fixing to go down to Guat City, and he told me, he said uh, that um, um, I'm uh, okay. Take your time, Cody. No, no, no. Just hold one second. 
Um, I have some security personnel that have been out around the property now, and they're, i got to let them back in. Hang on. Sure. Okay. Ole, you may want to turn on your your video so uh, we can see you. No, we had some uh, we had some external uh, some people some cars and vehicles out here. I live way out in the mountains, and uh, I have bodyguards and people up here around my property now. And they're uh, they're in cars and they're walking around and they're just making sure nothing funny's happening. So I apologize for that. Yeah. Cody, can we get back to to the Alfred P. Murray building? And uh, do you, could you explain why was it exactly that building they hit, and uh, what was the reason, and who was behind it? Okay. Well, the reasons for that bombing I found out later. Um, all right. We have to go back to the Desert Storm War, and um, this is in uh, January of 1991, and. Uh, we, the CIA had covertly supplied uh, Saddam Hussein in the 80s with the AIM strain of anthrax um, from Fort Detrick, Maryland. And this was in case uh, they were overrun by the Iranians where, you know, Saddam was fighting the Iran-Iraq war, and Iran enjoyed a 10-to-1 infantry advantage over them. We were allied with uh, Saddam. He was actually a CIA asset. And Donald Rumsfeld went over there and provided him uh, support and satellite intel and stuff. And then uh, when Saddam invaded Kuwait, he turned from an asset to a liability. Uh, make a long story short, um, George Bush and the guys over here wanted to uh, go stop Saddam Hussein. They were getting a lot of uh, flack from the Saudis. And um, so what they did was our normal... Soldiers got a six-month anthrax course for their injections, uh, one vaccine a month to build immunity. Uh, but they were on a timeline, so they had to reduce it down to a month. So they covertly cooked up a uh, new anthrax vaccine, and it, was, and it was only one shot for one month. Now, they bypassed FDA approval, and this new anthrax vaccine had squalene. It was shark oil. It's an adjunct used to boost autoimmune system function. So they gave it to our guys. The first lot was given at Dover Air Force Base. The C-130 pilots and all of them started getting dizzy and sick. This had never been used before, but they were in a big jam. And they basically sent about 480,000 of our troops over there from all various branches, Marines, Air Force, Army, so forth. A lot of them got these shots. They started getting really sick, very sick. And uh, nausea, dizziness, all this stuff. Well, then they later called that Gulf War Syndrome, okay? And so... To make a long story short, this Gulf War syndrome, the, our guys came back after Desert Storm 1. They started getting stateside, and they were sick. Another thing they used over there for the first time in, in 91 was depleted uranium weapons. They uh, expended approximately 200 tons of these weapons. I know some of the A-10 Warthog pilots, they used the uh, chain guns, 30-millimeter chain guns. And also they used the M1A1 uh, Abrams tank Savit rounds. These uh, were very high-velocity tank-busting rounds. They had enough kinetic energy to knock a uh, tank uh, turret off a Soviet, uh, say, T-54 tank, which Saddam was employing. And these, these things, uh, you know, they weigh 11 tons, and they were, they were blowing them up and just spinning them like tops. Well, um, these Sabbat rounds had about an 8- or 9-inch uh, rod of depleted uranium-238. And so what was happening, this is the first time they ever used this ordinance in a real war, um, these things were making big fireballs, and what was happening was they were creating uh, uranium 
uranium dioxide and, and other compounds uh, and the micron size of these particulates after these firefights were approximately four microns. Now, the mop gear, the standard mop gear that our uh, U.S. Uh, forces had, you know, there were a number of different countries, Brits, all us, but I'm talking about our U.S. mop gear. They go to 10 microns. So what was happening was, in a nutshell, our troops were breathing depleted uranium, low-level radioactive particulates that pass through their mop gear. Now, nobody knew this at the time. So our guys started breathing this, and it, the low-level radiation concentrates in the thyroid gland and in the testicles. So they were coming home, and the first thing soldiers do usually when they get home is make love to their wives and stuff. And so the semen of these soldiers uh, was slightly radioactive, and it was being transferred into the ovaries of their wives, then from the ovaries down into the children and so forth. And this is the first time the Pentagon ever dealt with a problem like this. You're talking about intergenerational radioactivity being transferred multi-generationally. And so this is very similar to the uh, thing that happened in Vietnam with the dioxin poisoning of the uh, Agent Orange stuff, okay? That was sprayed in uh, basically an Operation Ranch Hand. I think it went from 69 to like 71 or 72, where they were defoliating the highlands so that they could... Uh, uh, hit the VC better there. So uh, that resulted in a big lawsuit, and DuPont settled with the uh, uh, Vietnam veterans. And, and dioxin, a lot like low-level radiation that was used in the Iraq conflict, these two types of toxins uh, accumulate low-level in the body, and then the, the effects of them do not, they do not uh, show up immediately. Uh, they, they take 30, but, 40 years. But so. what, was, what was the connection with, the, with Oklahoma City? I know, I know, I'm getting there. I'm trying to cover about. Uh, this is fascinating. Years. No, I, I'm fascinated okay. by all of this, Cody. Go, go for it. Go for it. Uh, okay, okay, okay. So, all right. So, um, we had the Agent Orange thing from Vietnam, and then we had now in in 1991, we had depleted uranium weapons, and we also had anthrax shots, both of which were experimental. So these two factors combined to produce what you call the Gulf War syndrome. All right. Now, our soldiers start coming back sick, and so they start showing up at the VA hospitals. All this stuff started happening. They began investigating. They began backtracking. They started discovering, holy shit, this is what's happened. Um, the Pentagon got worried at this point. They started having Gulf War hearings. The Pentagon, uh, with this radioactive, they were going to be on the hook for hundreds of millions, hundreds of billions, per perhaps trillions of dollars in long-term care, not only for the soldiers, but for their their sons, their grandsons. The Pentagon did not know how long, how many generations this radioactivity was going to be transferred inter, you know, intergenerationally. It's the first time it had ever been done. And the Pentagon was worried that they were going to be on the hook for a lot of money. Well, they started these hearings on the Gulf War Syndrome, and there was a senator his name was uh, Chris Shays, a Republican out of Connecticut, I believe. Yeah. He was sitting on one of the, yeah, he was on one of the uh, committees. And so what he did was he said, look, we're going to get to the bottom of this, but we need the medical records. We have to have the medical records of all these people. So he tasked the FBI with going around and uh, collecting them so they could determine medical culpability for a potentially staggering amount of money. And guess so, what? The records yeah, were collected in Oklahoma City in the Mirror Building. 
that's the whole thing right there. These records were stored at the Murrah building. And when that blew up, the Pentagon later in hearings about Gulf War Syndrome, because these hearings were going ongoing over years, after the Murrah building blew up in uh, 1995, um, at, at a later hearing, the Pentagon admitted to uh, a Congressional Oversight Committee that approximately 400,000 Gulf War Syndrome records, medical records, had disappeared and been lost. During the bomb. That is one of the, yeah, that's the one of the main reasons why that building was blown up. It was the cover-up of two things, the depleted uranium and um, uh, usage uh, combined with uh, the vaccines. There was a massive cover-up. They had actually uh, waived FDA uh, approval and testing for those vaccines, which effectively made guinea pigs. But out of all our good military men and women who But this leads to uh, an epidemic of radiologically contaminated offspring all over the country who are themselves going to reproduce. I mean, the effects here are staggering. What you're describing, Cody, is just beyond belief. Well, the Air Force, uh, Dover Air Force Base, they were the first ones to get the lots. Now, in this, this book I wrote, Choosing the Light, Dark Secrets of the Oklahoma City Bombing, I did a lot of research. I talked to a lot of black operators and Pentagon people and, uh, you know, different military guys. I, I have a lot of files and stuff. But um, the, uh, Dover Air Force Base, i got the lot numbers in here, the first vaccines. There was it, a company named Bioport, it, is the book, they, they is made the, them. Is the book out, Cody? Well, uh, we have several publishers right now uh, looking at it. We couldn't do a thing like normal people and, and put a book first and then go out to interviews. If I put a book like out, out this first, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. Yeah, you'd probably so what be I had to do, taken out already. Yeah, we have to get the interviews out first and the book out later. Yeah. So we have some... Uh, yeah. yeah. I've, yeah. I've already yeah. had two books uh, on comparatively speaking innocuous subjects, uh, you know, banned by Amazon. So, you, you know, there may be a marketing issue here, but this is stunning stuff. You... you has the yeah, military you, you know, done? But, has the military done anything to cope with a problem that they're not even willing to acknowledge exists? Yeah, well, listen, Dick Cheney, some of his companies, uh, all of these defense contractors, Bioport was a uh, uh, a vaccine company, and they made a lot of lots for this new squalene adjunct. You know, in normal flu shots, they have the therosol, which is a mercury-based adjunct, right, leading and to, then leading uh, to autism. Yeah, they, they started getting a lot of heat for the mercury with autism and everything, and then they switched over to aluminum-based uh, adjuncts. But right, this squalene, it was a... Go ahead. Pardon me? No, no, I know the aluminum yeah, also generates serious problems, so... Right, and so they tried, went to this squalene thing. So our troops were getting really sick, and the Pentagon didn't want to have to deal with all the money like they did with the Vietnam veterans and the lingering horrible medical costs I got a lot of my op buddies that are all poisoned with the Agent Orange, and they've got type two diabetes and liver failure and heart failure, and um, I could go on and on about all this. But as far as the Murrah building was concerned, that was the main reason why it was bombed. The second reason was that uh, when Bill and Hillary Clinton were over in Arkansas, and he was the governor, and and Hillary was running the Rose Law Firm, there was a CI op over there called Centaur Rose. It was a highly illegal CI op. 
uh, you know, Centaur Rose for Rose Law Firm. And in that op, basically in a nutshell, I could talk for hours. I was in all that. But it, uh, Reagan had passed, uh, he had went to the CIA director and told him he wanted to run this op because Congress had passed the Boland Amendment in 84, and um, they forbid us to be involved militarily down in Nicaragua. As you recall, Daniel Ortega was uh, the Sandinista's president, and the Soviets were supplying them all big time. And then the Contras uh, were against them. And so Reagan went around Congress and told the CIA to conduct a covert op to... Um, Ollie uh, North, Portford. right, right Armstrong. Yeah, yeah, all that, all that, all that. To get money, yep. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so all that goes, and then uh, all the records, basically, from these ops that were occurring... They were running these covert ops. Bill Clinton was running cover for him, using his uh, position as uh, governor to run cover for him. And a lot of that stuff was covered in Terry Reed's book and uh, several other books. But uh, basically, the domestic law enforcement in the area got wind of these big operations at the Mean Airport, and uh, Barry Seals, one of the contract pilots and stuff. So they, uh, they started investigation, the ABI, the Arkansas Bureau of Investigation, the DEA, the IRS, and so forth. They were laundering a lot of money through there and everything. So anyway, all those investigative records were there, and they were stored in the Little Rock FBI office. Just prior to the bombing at the Alfred P. Murrah building later in 1995, um, there was a guy named Craig Roberts. Y'all probably know him. He, He was a Tulsa police detective. He said he got a call from a guy in the FBI, who who was unnamed, and he told him, hey, the, all those records that were implicating Bill and Hillary Clinton have been moved to the Murrah building just before it blew up. And so at that time, if you recall, the Whitewater hearings were going on in, uh, in D.C., and uh, they, had, uh, they had a whole lot of stuff on the Clintons. And, and with the impeachment thing that was going on with Bill, and, and so those records being lost and blown up in the Murray building was a big fat plus for the Clintons. And it was also a big fat plus for the Pentagon because without those medical records, they couldn't prove. Some of those soldiers says, I'm really sick, and I didn't get sick till I went to Iraq and came back. And the Pentagon said, well, can you prove it? How do we know you didn't get these cancers and all these strange diseases? You know, radiation makes cancers and leukemia and tumors and all kinds of stuff, but it takes time for it to show up. And if you're not, doing, that, if you're not, if you're not doing statistical studies that show the pattern of those who are, you know, in good health before and bad health after, it's very difficult to prove on a case-by-case basis. It's very powerful to isolate individuals and leave them to their own devices by depriving them of the evidence they need to prove their case. Right, Jim. I mean, you know the drill. It's like I know I've worked with a lot of guys after they got out of Vietnam, and they were doing the black ops thing to make money. And uh, one of them was a guy named Dan, and uh, they uh, had drinking that paddy water between resupplies out on their in the bush. He was in the infantry, and they were spraying the highlands with that uh, Agent Orange, and that stuff would all run down into the paddy waters and stuff. So. They would dip their canteens and put the pills in it and drink it and everything. And uh, he, when he got back to the States, 
him and his wife, she was his high school sweetheart. She's one of the few that actually waited on him, you know, <laughs> to get back from um, from Nam. But he, uh, they wanted to have a family, and they tried hard, and he was sterile. So he started calling all of his buddies that were still alive that made it back to the States, and he called them all, and every single one of them that had been under his command were all sterile. And so they got together, they got their sterility tests, and they filed a private lawsuit, okay, against the Army and against the Pentagon trying to uh, get compensation. And the Pentagon did the standard thing, just like you're saying. They came back and go, you didn't have medical records proving, we don't know if you were sterile when you were 18 years old or not, when you went in the Army. And so they got really mad at all this, and then they joined that big class action lawsuit, you know, that... uh, that the Vietnam veterans filed against DuPont. So, uh, yeah, this this is a massive cover-up. It's it's not only just the Murrah building. This thing is bigger, uh, and it's uh, it's time we shed some light on it. It's gar- gargantuan, Cody. You're talking about the corrupt core, I mean, of the military abandoning and abusing our own soldiers to avoid... Fiscal responsibility for ill-fated decisions that led to calamitous consequences on the health and well-being of our own people. I mean, this is disgusting beyond belief. This is despicable. Hey, Jim and Ole, you know, what's even more despicable than that is that they bombed one of our own civilian buildings and laid it off on Apache. You know, Tim McVeigh had been in Desert Storm. He won a a bronze star. He was an M1A1 tank commander over there. His platoon uh, commander was Terry Nichols. And uh, McVeigh uh, came back to the States, and he went to uh, uh, Fort Benning and was going to join Special Forces. And so he got in a group. There's over 100 soldiers that wanted to be in SF. And uh, due to the psych profiles and everything they did, um, CIA picked McVeigh and 10 others out of that Special Forces class. And they had a covert secret meeting. And they told them that we want you guys to work for us. Your front is going to be Special Forces, but you're really going to be working for the CIA. Your jobs are going to be to conduct um, the black ops, assassinations, bombings, drug shipments, so forth, while you're using the good name of the Special Forces, of course, as a front. And so McVeigh was like me. He was a patriot, and he told him, no, I don't want to do this crap. And he quit the Special Forces. And then he moved off to a security job up in Buffalo, New York, at CalSpan. And CalSpan, <laughs> if you do any of the research, it was a major contractor. They, they operated with uh, the Air Force's Redstone program, which was an electronic elent, uh, electronic uh, uh, intelligence, electronic counterintelligence, electronic countermeasures thing. They made microchips. They made radars, antennas, all kinds of stuff. And that's where McVeigh, I believe, was approached, uh, you know, for the job to bomb the Murrah building. And so uh, I told Ole earlier, McVeigh had actually been down at the Waco compound when it was being um, assaulted by the FBI, and he provided night vision equipment to some of my friends. And they watched at night as black helicopters that were totally no markings, no lights. They flew over the top of the, mach- of the uh, Branch Davidian compound, 
and they they watch the tracer bullets, you know, out of M60 machine guns that are out of the back of the sides of those 204 Huey choppers, uh, and you see them at night. Every fourth round is like, or fifth round is like a, uh, it's a it's a tracer. They right. the standard military. Yeah, yeah, they're all either uh, uh, green or. I've seen that aerial footage. I mean, you know, the claim that the FBI didn't fire automatic weapons into the compound is absurd. You can see them being fired into the compound. You see this tank with a flame for capacity put the compound on fire while they burned to death 84 women and children. I mean, they could have arrested this guy, uh, David Korish, when he was walking back and forth to town getting supplies every single day. I mean, it was totally unnecessary. You may be able to confirm this, Cody, but the story I get is Hillary was pissed off, all the attention of Waco, that she wanted to talk about her health care program. She put pressure on Vince Foster and turn on to Webster Hubble and turn on to Janet Rebo to take him out, to take out the compound so she could get her health care program back on the air 24-7. Yeah, now that's on the political side of the ops. Um uh, I've told Ole, we did a thing on uh, the whole Vance Davidian thing. I had friends that were there on the inside, and the gist of that was from an operational viewpoint. I don't know much about the political stuff, but from an operational viewpoint, um, that's a standard Delta team tactic. When you have insurgents holed up in a civilian structure like the Branch Davidian compound was, it has a wood roof, and you have a perimeter set up around it, um, which the FBI did at the time, um, if you want to collapse that perimeter and get closer to your targets, one of the standard Delta Force tactics is to deny the top ground. So they use those choppers at night to machine gun down into the compound, and what it did is it makes the branch of Indians go down to the lower floor, and therefore you can collapse the perimeter around it. And so that was just a tactical thing that they did. But we talked about all the other stuff with that. But, um, I mean, we could go on a bunch. I know so much stuff about all this, but... Cody, let me invite Oli to raise some questions here because I know he has a number in mind. No, what I would like to, Cody, is if you can tell us about uh, when, uh, since time is limited, maybe not so much about how you were framed, but your time in prison uh, in the cells next to Mac, uh, Timothy McVeigh and so on. Yes, Um after the bombing, uh, they had planted me with evidence. I talked to the nation's top cop, Blake Butler, and they had it on tape. I told him all about the uh, Murr building. So the CIA took the tapes, and they stuck me in front of Judge Nottingham, as pointed by uh, George Bush uh, Sr. and the uh, ex-DCI. Um, the uh, attorney, uh, U.S. attorney was Tom Strickland, uh, appointed directly by Bill Clinton. So the fix was in. So they planted me with evidence to shut me up for something I didn't do. Then they threw me in there in Supermax. I didn't have one traffic ticket. I had a perfectly clean record. Um, I was just a black operator that knew the truth, that they were shutting up is what it amounts to. I'm lucky they didn't kill me. However, they put me, I was in the uh, FCI Inglewood in uh, Denver, Colorado. That's Federal Correctional Institute. And uh, they... Judge Nottingham said I was too dangerous to be in the regular prison population, so they put me in the SHU, that's a special housing unit, that's supermax security, solitary confinement. Now, Tim McVeigh had been uh, charged with the Oklahoma City bombing, and they had moved his trial up to the Tenth Circuit Court here in Denver, and uh, he was being held in the most secure place in the prison. 
and he was the worst terrorist in U.S. history at that point. And so they had me um, three cells down from him uh, in the tightest security. And uh, the, they were being real mean to me because they knew I knew, and uh, they were trying to punish me. They took out my, my mattresses. Uh, I had to sleep on a, on the concrete. Uh, they put me in there six to eight weeks at a time. Some, some weeks we'd go a whole week with the lights totally out. I didn't know if it was there or not. I quit eating food because I thought the CIA was going to poison me to shut me up about the Murrah building. And um, I was getting weaker and weaker. And uh, so anyway, I was there on that day that Timothy McVeigh was taken out of there. He was uh, executed on June the 11th, 2001, up at the Terre Haute FCI in Terre Haute, Indiana. That's where they have the brand-new death chamber. It's a lethal injection chamber. And most of the guys that were in us down there at that pod, they were all in there for double life or triple life. Uh, there were many multiple injection guys waiting to die, uh, but they didn't have room at Terre Haute to put them. But they, they bumped Timothy McVeigh ahead of all of them. And Timothy McVeigh was executed in record time in the Fed. The reason I did this was to hush up anything he could say. Now, while I was there, um, security was extremely tight. And I never saw Timothy McVeigh, although he was just three cells down from me. And there was a uh, whole orderly. His name was Gerald Tubulls. He was a Lakota from the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation. And he was there for stabbing somebody. But he, his job was to get out and mop the floors and take care of the logistics there. So he came to my uh, cell door, and uh, he had told me the story of how no one could talk to Timothy McVeigh. No one. Not the, not no Nobody but the uh, lieutenants who had at least 15 years with the Bureau of Prisons, the BOP. And it was very tight security. And he said he walked down there by McVeigh's cell one day and had these little windows where you could look out. And he uh, said, hey, how's it going? And McVeigh said, hey. And that's all they said. And they took Gerald and threw him back in his solitary cell for days to punish him. They told him, you do not say anything to him. So when they took him out to execute him, it was a big hubbub. Uh, go ahead. Well, what was the pseudo-justification for nobody talking to him? I mean, that's such a, an extraordinary thing to do. I mean, we know the real reason. He knew too much. But what was the pseudo? Did they have a explanation for no it was just an order right no reason given right right they they what mcveigh knew i have copies of his letters that he wrote to his sister jennifer where he told her the cia came in here in the special forces and wanted me to be a black operator and i told him to go to hell and so he wrote his his sister jennifer the letters and she had all that stuff and then uh, during his trial, the FBI went to her house and confiscated everything. They were trying to mop up the cleanup. They didn't want anybody to know anything about uh, Tim McVeigh's uh, involvement with the agency or any of the black ops stuff. They just wanted to paint the narrative the government was trying to put out, that he was a lone bomber, him and Nichols, and they had the rider truck and all the horse shit. That, that was just their cover, and they were mopping up after that cover operation. But I got copies of those letters. I have them in my book. I'm surprised so, they even allowed the letters to get to the hands of his sister. I mean, that's just astounding. They let them get to her. You'd think they'd interdict well, them and, and destroy him. Well, not, yeah, not, he, he wrote those letters while he was out. He wasn't in the prison. They control ah, everything in those good, prisons. Good, yeah, good. But good. While, he, while he was out, he was bouncing around, moving around. He could put them, he could have put them in any uh, number of postal facilities. But she got them. I got a copy of them. 
I've got them in the book here. And, and uh, so the point is to all this is that there was a massive cover-up, and I was in there, and I'm telling you what I know and what I saw from my thing. So the day they took McVeigh out to execute him, um, there was a big hubbub in there, lots of brass. I mean, there were like uh, FBI, I don't know, lots of suits. Uh, it was just a zoo in there. And then it all settled down. And about an hour later, the goon squad came to my cell. There was about eight of them. They're all dressed in black, you know, and they had the taser shields, uh, their sh- plastic plexiglass shields with the tasers built in. And they all you had mean it's a black tactic? You're talking black tactical gear. You're not talking black suits. Yeah, they're black tactical gear. Yeah. They use them if inmates get violent. You know, they're, they right. have padded vests and neat You weren't pads being violent, of course. They were just paying you a little visit. Right, and here's what they did. This is part of their psych tactics to shut me up. Um, they came down there after they took McVeigh out, and, you know, they tell you to go to the back of the cell, they, and, and then you walk, and they handcuff you through the bean hole, and then you have to walk back to the end of the cell, then they open the door, and they have the chains all laid there, and they put chains on your legs uh, with a chain coming up to your belly. They wrap a chain around your belly, and then they hook all that to the handcuffs, so you're totally chained up. So they all chain me up, and the lieutenant, that just took McVeigh out. He, I'll tell you exactly what he said. He, he looked at me. He got right in my face after they chained me up. And uh, he said, do you know where you're going, Snodgrass? And I looked at him, and I said, I don't know, and I don't give a fuck. And he said, well, you're going to Terre Haute. You're next. And You mean for, ex- guards, for execution? You mean for execution? Well, yeah, they, they just took McVeigh out. Right. Okay, to execute him. And that's what he said to me. I was I had I hadn't even been to court. I'd never been found guilty. So so what the F okay, are they so doing to, was, threatening to execute you when there's no legal ju- warrant for it at all? I mean, murdering you is one thing, but threatening to execute you as a result of a formal a, a state process is is ludicrous under those circumstances. Yeah, that what they were doing was just trying to scare me. They Psy-up. knew that I knew about Oklahoma yeah. City, and it's yeah. just like you better shut up right. or your next kind of thing. Then, then they all started laughing. They undid the chains and everything, and put me back in the cell. Uh-huh. Okay, and and so that's that's what happened to me when I was in there. I never saw Timothy McVeigh's face. I talked to people who did talk to him, but um, that's what I know about all that right there. Had McVeigh done other ops for them? How'd they approach McVeigh in the first place? You know, why did they target him? Why'd they think he would be a good guy to do this? Well, uh, one of the reasons was during the Desert Storm conflict, all the, uh, we already talked about the shots with the squalene and the anthrax vaccines, okay? So, you know, when soldiers go overseas, they all get the standard uh, shots for whatever particular theater of operation they're going to be in, the nun fever, yellow fever, whatever it is. They get all the shots. Well, what was happening, there was another covert plan in the Pentagon, and this was a plan with Lockheed Martin and their satellite systems. They had uh, come up with something called the BEAST. It was the Battle Engagement Area Simulator Tracker. This was a new Lockheed Martin satellite system, which was designed to track uh, operatives and field uh, personnel in live uh, uh, combat situations. And so what had happened was, through the vaccination program, certain people were picked out, and they were injected with implantable microchips. 
okay? These microchips had the early stage protein coats on them, and uh, the autoimmune system of the human body uh, eventually attacked them. They've upgraded them now, but they were testing them back then in the 90s. So McVeigh was one of the ones that got that. And he went over to Detter Storm. He did his thing. He won. Uh, uh, he had confirmed kills and won the Bronze Star. Uh, and then when he got back home, he started having sores, uh, sores appear on, in his rear. And uh, they removed those chips. And then they found out later that the Pentagon was doing all this. And what this was, the satellites can look down. If you put a dog tag on a normal soldier and he gets blown up and you find an arm or a leg somewhere, uh, you might find the, the dog tags or you may not. And it made body identification and location a lot easier in a real-time battlefield circumstance. So if you put a chip in them, it's even better than dog tags because if a leg or arm's blown up, then you have the torso and you can use a radio identification tracker to locate the torso, okay? And so this was one of the ways they sold this research to the Pentagon. And they could do it from a satellite. And the Beast a satellite system was tested in Lockheed Martin in real time over that conflict area uh, where you have sand blowing in the atmosphere, you have dust storms, there were oil field smoke, fires, hydrocarbons uh, in the air. Uh, Saddam set those fires. Um, there was a wide variety of... Um, things that obstructed right the but, it worked, but it worked it was, nevertheless so it was a severe test yeah it was a severe test right wow i mean so cody that, so, my god man you are just a bonanza of information about the deep state and the corruption to which americans have been subjected for the last multiple decades cody multiple decades T- tell me about Tell me, tell me more about the role of Bill and Hill in all of this. It seems to me they have been a particularly pernicious influence on recent American history. Yeah, yeah, Jim and Ole, that's, uh, that's why they planted me with evidence, you know, to shut me up. I did not sign a standard national security agreement on these uh, ops we were in. Okay, regular agents or uh, case officers, they had to sign those things, and if they ever talked about them like I'm talking now, they'd be thrown in Leavenworth. I was a black operator. I was an independent contractor, and I had eyes on access to a lot of this stuff. They have no way to control me. They can only uh, threaten me with death to shut up or plant me with evidence and falsify yeah, all their frame, stuff frame, and frame throw me in prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that way, they when when I get out and talk like I'm talking now, they say, "Well, he's a convicted felon. You can't listen to him. You can't believe him." And then they forget to tell you the story of how they planted me with that. Right, of course. Me one. How you were convicted as All a right. felon, so they could attempt to discredit you. Yeah, and you got a distraction. I just, yeah, I just pled guilty to something to uh, so they wouldn't kill me, basically. So yeah. I thought I'd fight to to live another day, and I'm out here. The whole story's in this book with dates, times. Uh, we have DEA tapes, uh, court documents. Uh, it's it's unbelievable. I also made my own tape recordings inside the United States Attorney's Office. Uh, we also have our own counter surveillance uh, footage uh, on the uh, feds that were doing their surveillance. So I have all this stuff. It's all coming out. We got it all out in the dead man switch. Uh, so it's going to come out one way or the other. Essential. Essential. All right, now what? Yeah, what was the question about? Uh, oh, Hillary and Bill, their their pernicious influence, how how they have corrupted the American political system to benefit themselves. Oh boy, Ole probably knows a lot about this too. But I can this that would take a a two or yeah. three hour talk. Yeah, um, I, believe uh, I can it. give you the high points. 
Yeah, give, I'll give me a you couple. A high of, point, give Tim. me a couple of high points. Yeah. Um. Well, you know, everyone knows. A lot of people in our fields know the story in Arkansas with the Clintons and so forth, and then they got up to uh, to be president. Um. In my opinion, Bill and Hillary Clinton are the worst criminal team in the history of the United States. They're worse than Bonnie and Clyde or anybody else. I believe they are satanic, evil, of the highest order. Um, I believe they sold our country out uh, in favor of the New World Order, uh, uh, Clinton's a Bilderberger, and so forth. But the high points of them, down in Arkansas, they were involved in sex rings, uh, drug rings, uh, arms rings. Um, all kinds of things. Pedo- pedophil- he got the power pedoph- of the- pedophilia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the tapes I made that the CIA took were about Kathy O'Brien because I knew her yeah. and met her. Yeah, and, I've heard, and all I've heard that. her speak, yeah. Yes. And so, anyway, um, Bill, when he got into the office of the presidency, the very first thing he did was fire every United States attorney in the entire country. Because he knew he'd been running all those black ops for the CIA in Arkansas. Uh, he was a front man, basically, for the agency. His position was to take up the uh, office of the presidency of the United States and then use that office as cover for the deep state. I believe he, this he 100%. Is a traitor. Cody, you're, he making is a traitor. So, you're making so much sense. I know... I know. That's just so disgusting. Many, so it makes things. you want to wretch and vomit. Yes, and uh, so when the fix was in, Clinton knew they'd been running those ops down in Arkansas. I was told by a very reliable associate that they were turning $100 million a month in cocaine down there and that Clinton got a 10% cut of that, which was approximately $10 million a month, and they were washing that money through the banks in Little Rock over to the Worthington Bank in Atlanta, and from that to the offshore bank, uh, BCCI Bank in the Caymans, that's the Bank of Credit and Commerce International. So those uh, operations were ongoing there, and they used that money then to launder back into the presidency. So when he got elected, I think it was in 92, um, he he began the the cover-up. And the fix was in in the DOJ and the Justice Department. Number one, he brought Janet Reno in, who had been in Dade County, Florida. I had some uh, no-knock narcotics guys that were best buds of mine that worked with her down there, and I can tell you all kinds of stories about that. But anyway, he brought Janet Reno in, and then uh, Tom Strickland, the guy up in here in the Tenth Circuit, uh, he appointed him. So he he, he put in, in position in the Justice Department, he appointed all the U.S. attorneys. And the fix was in for them to control all the judicial stuff for what he was about to do to America. One of them was the Randy Weaver, that, that fiasco up there uh, in, in Idaho. Yeah, Randy sent me uh, one a copy of his books while I was in prison and told me, hang in there, buddy, the feds are dirty, you have, uh, you know, we'll try to help and all that. And then, then the butcher of uh, Waco, Janet Reno, she oversaw the Branch Davidian cover-up. And then comes along, right after those two fiascos, was the bombing of the Murrah building. And I personally believe, although I do not have actionable intelligence or operational intelligence about it, my own personal opinion, after seeing black ops for 20 years from the inside and knowing how they work, I strongly believe that Bill and Hillary Clinton were right in the middle of the cover-up of the Oklahoma City bombing. 
Well, sure, as you were Bill mentioning, it, it was a big benefit to them to get rid of all those records. Yeah, because uh, they had the Whitewater investigation, as you recall, with James and Susan McDougall down there uh, in, in Arkansas, and that all was blowing up, and they had to do blowback control on that and, and hush those stories up. <laughs> and then later on there was the impeachment hearings, because by then Paula Jones and uh, Jennifer Flowers and all those sex allegations had been coming out against the Clintons, and they had to do blowback control and information control. So destroying those records in the uh, Murrah Building blast certainly benefited Bill and Hillary Clinton. Now, they could play dumb and but, go, oh, those poor people in, in the Murrah Building were so sad, and it's terrible, and we didn't know anything about it, and they're the ones that benefited from it. And the sexual abuses but, of women and so forth and by Hillary of children and and, and women well, those were the the least the least of their offenses but can yeah. I just uh, in, interfere here and say also for their first the first bombs went off, and the people were coming from everywhere to try and help the survivors in the in the ruins of the building, but then suddenly they started shouting secondary explosives here. Everybody needs to evacuate the area, and when everybody left the area, leaving people dying there, there were uh, some vans coming with people in blue overalls that went straight for the documents. They went into the the uh, uh, yes, buildings that were blown yes. up. Went for the doc- box document after box file after the- box, file cabinet after file cabinet yeah. after file cabinet. Oli, you're exactly right. Yeah. You're exactly right. And then right. They, they took them in the vans, took off, and then people were uh, allowed to come back and try and save whatever the people that were still alive. So it's like so cold, yeah. the, the, the way this is carried out. Yes. So it's so sinister. Yeah. Oh, those are excellent oh. points, Oli. Go ahead, Cody. Yeah, um, since I was offered the job to bomb this building, you know, I'm not bragging. I'm a professional. I've been trained in EOD and everything. They did that bombing op exactly how I would have done it. And here's what I think they did down there. Okay, they approached Timothy McVeigh. He was a Desert Storm guy. He's back here from the war after all that excitement, and he's bored, and he's up at Calspan. He's already pissed at the feds because they implanted him with a microchip and didn't tell him about it. And he always pissed because he saw what they did at the Waco compound that night with my friend Ron Cole. And he didn't like a machine gunning up uh, civilians like that and then burning down the, the building to cover up their uh, crimes. And he turned down uh, c- uh, civilian recruitment with the CIA at Benning because uh, he didn't want to do all that stuff. And so he's up at Calspan. He's a security guard. He's bored. And they probably, it's a standard program of iso- isolation and alienation. And they wait for a guy to get uh, weird, and then they offer him a, a job. And he had motivation to get back at the government for the microchip, the special forces thing, and what he saw at Waco. And so he was the patsy. He didn't know it. He's too dumb. I'm way too smart for that. I knew what they were doing. So McVeigh does the rider truck, and he was supposed to show up at the Murr building about 9 o'clock on April 19, 1995, right? Okay. They already had the bomb, as, o- as Ole is saying. Those three bombs were placed in the Murr building beforehand. Now, here was the cover for the op. you got to look at this from a black operator's perspective. Um, they were going to bomb a federal building. They knew that the aftermath would be highly public with a lot of TV and a lot of media coverage. So they had to have a cover for what they were doing. They were destroying the medical records. 
They were destroying the whitewater records. All right, how are you going to do this and lay it off on a patsy? Okay, how are you going to do it? Well, you pre-wire the building, then you tell the patsy to show up at a certain time and detonate his truck bomb. Then when his truck bomb goes off, you detonate the, the, the bombs in the building at the same time, and thus there's your cover. The cover was McVeigh with the truck bomb. They wanted to make sure those records were gone, so they put three different bombs. One of them was in the daycare center because part of a PSYOP, from a black operator's perspective, from a PSYOP, you want the maximum number of casualties. And babies are preferable. I hate to say all this, but this is how they think. I'm telling you the truth here. Emotionally, they, they more. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have, finally, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history, laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com. Exactly, exactly. So, so does General Parton have the right idea about this? I mean, he's been a leading expert on it. Yeah, Absolutely. And let me, let me just, I, just add, there were the two different seismic reports, you know, the one very modest from the truck bomb and then the far more massive. What, what demolitions were actually used here, Cody? Okay, well, what, um, what I would use, uh, the ammonium nitrate, there's no way it could take out steel buildings. That, right. that type of explosive has a shockwave around it. I have degrees in mathematics and physics. I could talk for hours about all this, but... It's a spherical shockwave. It has what they call spherical wave divergence. The further you park it away from something, as the wave of the blast goes outwardly in time, it dissipates uh, by the square of the, of the energy in the distance. So uh, there's no way that a truck bomb of ammonium, nitrate, and diesel would have the power to do that. Right. Now, if I was going to wire, wire that building and blow it up, which I turned down, um, I would have used uh, C4, uh, with a calm, it has a real high um, detonation rate. Its detonation rate is approximately 26,000 feet per second, uh, which is a real fast crack, and it's enough to cut steel. I'd also have, would have used some Composition B, which is more like uh, ammonium nitrate, which has a bigger push. And you have to tamp the charges and put them in a certain uh, areas. Depends on the thickness of the beams and so forth. What you want to target is the structural beams and so forth. And then if you do have access to the nanothermite, that's the new stuff. The nano is uh, thermite is a very hot. I, be, I believe they used that in the Twin Towers in 9-11 later. But had I had access to that equipment at that time, that's what I, want, I would have used. Because what you want the building to do is collapse over and then cover up the truck bomb 
and cover as much as of the uh, cover-up operations. But Cody, the nanothermite doesn't have explosive force. I mean, it's an excellent incendiary to cut beams and steel, yeah. but 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 it doesn't blow things apart. So you know, that... right, right. But can, I would have used. Can it I ask in, a... in a way? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Cody. Can I? Uh, as far as I've been informed. There was a, a small little explosion at first uh, where gas was uh, uh, leaked out in the building so that when the, explo- the actual explosion uh, occurred, the impact was multiplied m- many times. Do, do you know, is that, uh, is that correct? Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. Like I said, I turned that particular op down. But um, if, if you are operational... And your job is to destroy a building with uh, the, you know, if you're overseas, you use Semtex or whatever's in the area. But here we have American equipment. They stole the stuff out of the armories, no doubt. And uh, you have C4, you have Comp B. You have if you have access, as Jim said, to the nanothermite. That's more of a burning agent. Um, if if you have anything in the civilian infrastructure that surrounds these buildings like natural gas pipelines or electrical transformers, what a bomber will do is he will use that infrastructure so that he has to minimize the amount of actual explosives and stuff that he brings in. This is an operational trick where, you know, what you want to do is have the minimum operational setup to get the building bombed, okay? It's the minimum amount of equipment moved, the least number of people, this is a way you keep a black op quiet. That way, if something sours up on the other end of the op and there's an investigation started, you have to go back and uh, terminate the compromises. And so if you do have gas, big gas pipes, you would certainly use that type of thing in a bombing op, okay? You would use it to enhance the effects of the charges you were setting. And whoever out there, Jim and Ole, whoever's out there, there are the people out there that really set those charges. They may be listening now. These are criminals to our country. These are traitors. Uh, they're guilty of treason against the United States, and they certainly are not going to come forward. I'm coming forward now because I didn't do the op. I'm not guilty of anything except telling the truth. But these people need to be prosecuted. They need to be put in prison. The real people behind the Murrah building and the people who carry that op out and then laid it all at McVeigh's feet is the Patsy, who was executed in record time. These people need to be brought to justice because how do we know, Olay? How do we know, Jim, that they weren't the ones that went to 9/11 and put the nanothermite there? How do we know they're not the ones that went over to that Sheffield tunnel thing uh, in England? How do we know these people still aren't out here and they're not going to do another false flag in our country? Have Have you had any uh, contact or? Uh collusion with a Mossad in any of these events? I, uh, at one point, I studied martial arts for 20 years off and on, and uh, I went to Japan uh, one time to uh, do some studying over there. And one of the uh, senseis over there, I know all their names, I, I do not want to say them in public. Sure. Um, because they, had, they, they were not involved in any of this stuff. They were just teaching martial arts, but I don't want to tarnish their reputations i respect them very highly we had a number of uh, people from uh, sas in england and uh, various countries it was high level martial arts training it was uh combat training uh sabotage espionage and assassination that's what we were studying 
And my uh, one of my roommates at uh, certain sensei's house was a, a guy that uh, worked for the Israeli Mossad. He wasn't a Mossad agent, and he was my my bunkie there for a while. And it was a funny, you know, Olay uh, and and Jim. <laughs> this I spoke English, and he spoke uh, Israeli, and uh, my sensei there spoke Japanese. So <laughs> we we couldn't communicate very well but that was my only contact uh it was not operational the contact was merely incidental with the other uh operatives it's, if i were to ask for an enumeration of black ops of which you're aware that the government has perpetrated on the people you know since since the Muro bombing i mean you mentioned we've talked about waco and ruby ridge and so forth what others would you add to that list you mean the ones that have already happened or the ones yeah. I think is going to happen? Well, well let's go the there, one, too, but let's talk about the past and then anticipate the future. Ones um, that have already happened. Okay, well, well, yeah, you go to 9-11, and I could talk for several hours. Um, I talked to some eyewitnesses there. I've been, I know uh, quite a few people. Uh, anyway, um, we, we, we you know, 9-11... We need to expand on that, Cody. This is so important. Let let us continue our interview longer than our pre-designated duration to include this. It's very important. Talk about okay. nine. Talk well, about nine eleven. Well, um, I was not involved in in nine eleven whatsoever. However, on the on the morning of September eleventh, two thousand one, I was down in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Uh, one of my op buddies, he was Captain Glenn Wilson was his name. Uh, he's deceased now from Agent Orange throat cancer from drinking that patty water. Captain Wilson did two tours in Vietnam, and he got back, and he was uh, did some liaisoning with the Defense Intelligence Agency. He was one of the guys that planned the operation. Uh, you guys may know more of this about me. In 1979, when our embassy in Tehran, uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini, his Islamic fundamentalist groups, uh, they stormed the embassy to overthrow the Shah. You guys remember all that, right? Of course. In, in, in taking their yeah. country back, you know, what people leave out, Cody, is that we uh, destabilized their democratically elected government and installed the Shah in 1953. So we took out their democracy. Most Americans think it all began with the Iranians taking the embassy as though that were their hostile act against us, as though they initiated all this when Kermit Roosevelt, a cousin of Teddy, engineered this coup in Iran in 1953. Exactly, with Mosaddegh, yeah. So uh, anyway, you're, uh, that's absolutely right. So anyway, uh, Captain Wilson here, he uh, liaison with the DIA to... Uh, set up that op and it failed miserably and carter got the political backlash but um anyway uh he had been uh, uh I, he had died okay and his wife had called me um and i was helping her and we had about 42 machine guns uh belt fed m60s and some m2s these were all legal class 3 guns registered in dc and she asked me to help clear the collection so we cleared it all out, and I was busy getting rid of all that. And um, so we were sitting around on 9-11 on that day. And uh, I told her, I was talking to her, and she goes, I got a funny feeling some weird stuff's going to happen. I said, I, I don't know. You know, uh, all I know is America's done a lot of dirty stuff overseas, just like you were talking about, Jim, just like you were talking about with all these coups. They go around and do all this stuff around the world. 
then they lie to the American people. Yes. So then when these terrorists attack us, you know, no one understands why. Right. That's an essential so anyway, part of I, the op. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, anyway, on that day, I left, and then sure enough, on the drive home on the radio, I heard all the sad news, and I immediately knew that was another op, you know. And then yes. I saw the footage of the planes going in there and everything. And in my opinion, to make a long story short, there's been a lot said about this. If I had been offered that job, okay, to take those towers down, um, I would have had a large op team to do this. But from an operational black ops perspective, here's how I would have done it. Over there in uh, World Trade Center 7, okay, I would have set up a covert telemetry system with radio control of remote-controlled aircrafts. That would be the cover for the operation. The cover, like McVeigh with the Ryder truck, that was the cover, okay? Because you know when the Twin Towers come down, there's going to be a lot of media, a lot of attention. So you have to have a cover that the civilians in the country you're operating in will believe. All right, so what's this cover? What I would have done was I would have went into the Twin Towers uh, using a variety of uh, explosives, especially nanothermite, because... Those towers were designed with big steel beams. Uh, they could uh, withstand direct impact of multiple aircrafts. There's no way one aircraft could take them down. So you have to pre-wire them in the structural parts uh, so that they'll kind of pancake down. And you pre-wire them with uh, things like mm -hmm. the nanothermite, as you mentioned, the real hot stuff. And you get it all pre-wired and set up, right? So then you have a, um, a story concocted about hijackers that took these planes. Well, there's nothing on those planes. They were just remote control planes set up, and the telemetry equipment necessary to control those planes would be set up in an alternate site like the uh, WCT-7. So then you have the place pre-wired, you fly the planes in. Now, that's the cover. That's what you're going to tell everyone, okay? And then the, they hit, uh, you detonate, the things fall, and then later you have to detonate the the place where you were hiding all the telemetry equipment and the radio control equipment because by that time the civilians have all showed up the press is there the cops are there you can't move all that stuff out of the building in 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 the alternate site so you just detonate it in place and that's why that one pancaked that's right now. Bizarre. You guys have sure seen that. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, were they, they, they were they were prepping uh, Building Seven uh, the morning. Uh, we we got Barry Jennings was in there and the explosives were going off and a stairwell was blown out from under them. They they actually weren't able to use real planes, Cody, because they would have crumpled external to the building. The design was so sophisticated, so they had to fake it. That's a whole other story. The buildings didn't collapse. They were being blown apart from the top down and converted into millions of cubic yards of very fine dust. The tell being, when it was over, there was no stack of pancakes in their footprint. You had five and a half floors <laughs> for Building 7, but nothing for the you know buildings more than twice that high. Should have been 13 and a half or 14 floors, but it wasn't there. They appear to have used a sophisticated arrangement of mini or micro nukes, and this appears to have been an Israeli job that we gave the Israelis uh, Dave, hundreds of Davy Crockett tactical warhead uh, nukes, and they took them back to Israel and refined them and then brought them back to the U.S. for use in the Twin Towers, believe it or not. Yeah, see, um, that, that's an, any of these ops, I was just giving a general thing of, of how it could be done. It certainly could have been done that way. We've also heard the theories of... Uh, Directed energy weapons, which I definitely have in this in this book. I have I have the story of uh, 
Army Ranger Sequest, who was down in Nicaragua on a covert op. They pulled him out of the Army uh, Rangers uh, from his MOS. He did secret black ops like the ones they offered uh, at McVeigh. They take your DOD files and forge entries where you were to cover it up, standard procedure. And he was on op teams, and he saw some of those directed energies uh, weapons being used down there. And so that whole story is in the book. Uh, the SDI thing with Reagan, you know, Star Wars Defense Initiative had been going on in the 80s. So it's very possible that some of those weapons may have been used later on in nineteen in two thousand one when the when the towers collapsed. Let me yeah. ask two or three uh, kinds of questions. Actually, one we we know about uh, the corruption of Bill and Hillary. We we know about the corruption of of uh, uh, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney, who who stealing stealing the election was a necessity to get them into position to give us nine eleven so that we go to war in the Middle East to benefit Israel. Uh, what about uh, Obama then? I mean, of course, he brought Hillary and his secretary of state. I mean, you started to say things that I agree with 100% about the, the degree of corruption and, and, and sadism of Hillary Clinton. I mean, I'm just dumbfounded by this woman, Cody. Well, uh, I have talked, Jim and Ole, uh, directly to operatives that were at that uh, embassy, uh, you know, the Benghazi thing. Yeah. Um, where our three na- Navy SEALs were killed. Right. And, and Chris uh, Stevens, she set them up. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. And, and they, these operatives were ex Marine Corps guys who quit the Marine Corps and then the, they were working with Eric Prince in the Blackwater thing and, uh, yeah. other contracting things. And they, uh, they, uh, were there that night. And they whispered in my ear, I don't want to say their names because yep. I love these guys. Yep. Yep. I love them. And anyway, I'll tell you the story of what they told me. But um, first of all, you know, when we hit over there in, in Libya, um, Gaddafi, one of my associates, had had dinner with Gaddafi over there in his palace and had told me firsthand about some of that over there. And then later on, we, we went in there. That's when Hillary said that, you know, we came, we saw, we killed or whatever. Yeah. Hillary Clinton is a witch. She's a witch. She's a satanic. She belongs to be tried for treason against the United States. All right. She's my enemy. The Clintons are my enemies, and they're enemies of light and freedom and truth. So anyway, to make a long story short, when they hit that over there, Obama and Hillary, they uh, Gaddafi had a lot of gold bullion. Yes, he'd been selling oil revenues. You know the Russian stuff. So he had all that hit put up, and he had a lot of weapons, a lot of Russian weapons. And so they took him out, and they took the gold, and it went off to places unseen. I'm firmly convinced that Obama and the Clinton and her State Department, that they stole that gold and got rich off of it. Uh, I have no operational intelligence on that, however. But uh, the weapons, the Soviet weapons that were there for the Libyan army, those weapons were then transferred to that station there uh, where uh, all this uh, firefight, yeah, Benghazi, and they were en route to ISIS. Right. We were uh, building, yeah, we're building ISIS up as a proxy army to go against Assad over in Syria because the Saudis had a big pipeline deal they wanted to run through there, and Assad said no, so the Saudis covertly put pressure on our government to get rid of both Gaddafi and Assad. And so what was happening there, I'll get to the story that, that my friend told me straight to my ear um, in just a second, but it's the background, you know, that we have to go through so everyone will understand. No, no, this so is we're running all yeah. these. Yeah, we're running all these arms through the embassy, right? They're lying to the American people. And we had uh, our pilots, uh, 
supposedly doing bombing runs against ISIS, uh, coming off our carriers on the meds. I know some of the guys on the carriers, uh, wonderful people, the Navy guys. And um, what they were doing was uh, they would have a clear site in the desert. There's 100 Toyota trucks. There's no jungle canopy like in Vietnam or anything. You have clear of a line of sight. They request permission to the fire. They were denied permission to fire. Then they came back to the carriers and required a standard landing uh, procedure to drop the ordnance, you know, before they yeah, land. So right. there's not a, a crash. All right, so the pilots were all getting pissed off going, we had a clear sight. Why are you waving us off? And they're told to shut up. Right. And sign national security oath. Right. Because Obama and Clinton wanted to arm ISIS against Assad. Because they ISIS faked. was made in the USA. It's just disgusting, yes, they, Cody. It's absolutely disgusting. But what you're saying confirms everything else we put together. You've got it. Okay. Yeah, now, this is an important point, and then I'm going to tell you this story. This is an eyewitness direct story. It, it hasn't uh, been out in public that I know. Our guys had wing cameras, standard procedure. It's, you have wing cameras on your uh, attack aircraft. Right. And so over here in America, on the civilian press, they're telling all our people, oh, we're fighting ISIS. Uh, here's a picture of our Valiant Air Force guys uh, shooting a column up. Well, what they did was they substituted the wing camera footage from the Soviet attack yeah. aircraft. And the Soviets really are attacking it over ISIS. Here. Yeah. They put it over here on our news to dupe our people. Yes. Now, all this was going on. So the firefight broke out there that night, and here's what my associate told me to my ear. We were at a veterans rally uh, somewhere, and um, we had just dedicated a, a plaque to the 19 uh, Navy SEALs that got shot down in a Afghanistan with Michael Murphy, who won the CMH, the Congressional Medal of Honor, posthumously there. And Michael Murphy's mother was there. I was there with the guys uh, from SEAL Team 2, uh, old guys, dedicating the plaque on the POW wall there, and I went and hugged Michael Murphy's mother after that and told her, you know, I'm sorry you lost a son. I have no idea how that must felt, but I love you, and the angels of light love you, and we send you all our support and love. And so um, all in the middle of this was this Benghazi thing, and three of our Navy SEALs lost their lives that night. Well, my buddy was a contractor, CIA contractor, and he was uh, near there, and he was listening on the radio. They had equipment and everything, and they had all their gear there. And um, so when this firefight started, uh, they heard it all, and he wanted to go real bad, but they kept getting orders, stand-down orders from the State Department. And they had air assets that were ready to go, too, and they were all ordered down. Meanwhile, this firefight kept going, and three different times he requested to go. I want to go. They said, no, stand down. You're a contractor. You signed a national security oath. You don't work for the military anymore. You're working for us, so you sit still. He was ordered down. Finally, after three times, he couldn't stand it. Semper Fi. Semper Fi. He was a Marine Corps. He loved his country. He was a patriot like Tim McVeigh. He was a patriot like me. He said, this shadow government stuff is bullshit. So he grabbed his gear, and he went and got in the firefight. Now, he knew he was going to lose his contracting job and everything, okay? Yeah. But he didn't care. He wanted to go help our guys. And I don't know how many, if you guys have ever been under fire or anything, but when you have a, a man and your life is there and your life is his and his life is here, there's a brotherhood bond that is... You're fighting for each other. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, he came, and he fought, and he told me he spent seven hours in that firefight. 
And the first thing the insurgents did was blow the top off that uh, embassy there with uh, Russian mortars. And then they attacked with small arms, which is, you know, standard tactics. So they got in that big firefight and all. And uh, Hillary Clinton and Obama were scared to death that those insurgents and this situation would lead to the uh, uncovering of their covert operations. Because, see, the insurgents operating in that area, they knew that we were taking Gaddafi's arms and arming ISIS. And ISIS was over there butchering people and killing them and yeah. killing their countrymen. That's right. So they came over there to stop the arms, which was what our embassy was. And Bill and Hillary Clinton ordered the stand down because they wanted the embassy destroyed. Right. They wanted all the evidence destroyed so they could lay it off on the insurgents. Right, including so Chris Stevens. Yep. They, they sacrificed the lives of our ambassador. They sacrificed the lives of our Navy SEALs, and I've, I've worked with some of them. I have nothing but absolute pure respect for those guys, okay? And it makes me mad right now even talking about this. Yes. Because, Bill, because Hillary Clinton and Obama are sniveling, lying little politicians. They don't know the first thing about honor and integrity. And they got rich. They got rich with that stolen gold while they were selling out our country and our American servicemen were dying. And then Hillary, and then, 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 then they started covering it all up. Well, my buddy made it back out of that firefight. He survived. And he told me a whole, a whole bunch more stuff. But he whispered this stuff to me at the Veterans Rally into my ear. He put his yeah. lips yeah. you know, right up to my ear. Yeah. And I thought, I thought, geez, they're going to think we're faggots yeah. or something. But I don't care. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm sorry I'm getting so emotional. No, 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 Cody, Cody, Cody. Have, 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 have you got any report or feedback from the revelations of WikiLeaks that's exposing so much of this? I mean, there are WikiLeaks that lead directly to Hillary and Benghazi and all that. I mean, it's really, uh, you know, nasty, nasty stuff, completely consistent with what you're reporting here. Yeah, Jim and Olay, you, I know Olay knows a lot of stuff, too. I hate to hog this whole talk. But, no, 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 um, you're here. You are our guest. Point. You are the guy. You are it. Okay. Yeah, well, anyway, um, this whole deal is um, about the shadow government sellout of our country, okay, and they're using all this deception and stuff. I believe that Barack Obama is a traitor to the United States Constitution, I believe that Bill and Hillary Clinton are definitely traitors. They are criminals. Yes. And the reason I'm coming forward with my little piece of the puzzle, um, I died twice in the hospital in uh, Project Slammer. It's a CIA uh, program. We can talk about that later. Uh, but um, I've seen a lot of things out in the field. I was in Panama uh, when Noriega went down. I've been out on Central America, South America, Africa, all around uh, over in Asia and Tokyo and so forth. seen a lot of things firsthand. I've shut my mouth. That was our job was to uh, uh, conduct operations and satisfy our principal's requirements without uh, any blowback. So that's what we did, and I survived that. But now I'm here because I love our country. My father was a, uh, at Pearl Harbor. Uh, he wanted my father. He's my stepdad. But he was at Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 41, uh, he went to Fort Hood in 37, took his basic, went through the Pacific Command, 
and he was there December 7, 41, Pearl Harbor. Then he went to Guadalcanal, fought the big battle there in November of uh, 42, I believe it was, and then in, and then into the Highway Patrol. And we were here, and he was watching Bill Clinton when he was still alive one day, and he turned off the, picked up the remote, turned it off, and he got mad. He got red-faced mad. I've never seen him quite like that. And he said, that goddamn Bill Clinton. He said, that man is a traitor to the Constitution. He is a disgrace to the office of the presidency. He said, do you know how many men I saw die in the foxholes in Guadalcanal? Do you know all the men? Then he started telling me the Pearl Harbor stories, how they rescued those guys out of the Arizona before it sunk, and all the people burned with the diesel that was on fire and they piled all the bodies up in front of the the uh, Schofield barracks there at the hospital, and he told me sh- these horrendous stories at Pearl, and uh, he was about to cry. And he said, that man is, is disgracing all of our our veterans, all the people that suffered to make this country what it is. And he said, he, he said I can't believe someone like that is our, our president. And so um, these people, the reason I'm coming forward now, is because I believe America's at a crossroads. And the world's at a crossroads. It's not just our country. The New World Order and the bankers and all this shadow government crap, uh, enough is enough. Um, it's time that we expose them with the truth and we stand up. And what I want to do, Jim and Olay, is just say right here, I am not afraid anymore. I will not shut my mouth anymore. I am going to speak the truth that I know, it's not very much, it's just little bits here and there. I want to put it with the other people out there. I know there's a lot of guys like me that lived and saw this and shut their mouth. They don't want to lose their VA pensions. They don't want to lose their their uh, medical benefits and all that, and they're scared, and so they shut up. It's time that we brought these things to light, and it's time that we stood together as uh, not only Americans but human beings uh, what kind of world are we going to hand down to our children? Are we going to hand down a world of covert shadow government, Benghazi and dope in Afghanistan and all these wars and killing and crap? Or are we going to create a world that's more filled with light? And so it'll be hard, and I, I'm just trying to do my little part, and uh, mm-hmm. my hands are sweating. I'm not used to yeah. talking. I'm used to hiding behind a black ski mask like we did for 20 years. Cody, you have my unqualified admiration. I want to invite Oli to offer a few observations here by way of concluding, but I can't tell you how much I admire you for coming forward and speaking the truth about these experiences you know firsthand or from others who were there themselves. This is extremely telling, very important. The American people have to understand the rotten core that has been the American government for the last 30, 40 years. Oli. Can I also say that should anything, anything at all happen to Cody here or people that are close to him or loved ones, then let it amplify what he's saying. It will just confirm what he's saying. It will not shut it down on the contrary. So, and please, Cody, can you say the precautions you have made with doctors and so on just to get any potential uh, threat against you? Yeah, yeah, it took me four years to write this book, and then I had to live all of it first, and then I had to stay alive first. Uh, and and when I was in the solitary cell laying on the floor naked and weak from hunger and all the things, blah, 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 
I suffered, but I kept hope alive in my heart. And I'm the only one that made it out of there about the Oklahoma City bombing. McVeigh's dead. Nichols is doing life without parole. Uh, Kerry Gagan, who moved the explosives down, I told you that story. Uh, he disappeared in the medical facility in there in Springfield, Missouri, probably drugged out of his mind. I'm the only one out of that group that made it out to tell these stories. And um, I uh, 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 say that again. Oh, tell me what you said the last, just the last. Oh, time. he wanted to know what precautions you've taken should something happen to you. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, before I started releasing this out and talking here in the last week or so, I went to my doctor. He, he has a top-secret clearance. He works on a lot of uh, military guys. Um, and uh, he's been my doctor 26 years. So I had an appointment with him. I went in, blood test, everything. Um, I told him I'm not taking any drugs whatsoever except for the medications he gives me for diabetes and, and pain meds. And um, that's all I take. And I said, if my body's found with any puncture marks or uh, stray chemicals, um, then it, I was certainly murdered by the shadow government. And I told him, I showed him a copy of the book and told him I'm fixing to go public about a lot of real high-level black ops, CIA uh, involvement, pedophile rings, Bill and Hillary Clinton, George Bush, um, Obama, all of this stuff. Um, and I said... I fully expect I'm probably going to be killed, okay? So I want you to know if they find my body um, that that's what happened. I am not, I repeat, I am not going to commit suicide. You know, I'm not going to do it. Um, so that's the Clinton's standard black ops team, like they did Vince Foster, Seth Rich. Jim, I bet you know all the names. Susan McDougal, Jim McDougal. All the people of the suicides, there's, what, 120, 130 of them all killed? Yeah, it's unbelievable. I know. It's grotesque. Grotesque. Cody, I can't thank you. Yeah, go ahead. I just want to say that um, uh, I have a lot more information. This book is coming out. We have CD copies we've already mailed out to a lot of different people. And... um, I just want to say one thing that's at the very back of the book. In the front of the book, I have a picture of uh, stepdad, uh, Jimmy Howard. The Pearl Harbor Survivors Association was there at his funeral. Uh, the national president of the Pearl Harbor Sur- uh, Association was there. It was a big thing, the governor's office. Um, I have a story in the book about that. It's a very moving story for our veterans. Um, this book is dedicated to our veterans. It's dedicated to our military and police guys. Uh, a lot of those firefighters that went in at 9-11 breathe the asbestos there. They're sick now. They're suffering. Our veterans are suffering in the VA hospitals. We do healing work for the VA, uh, the hospital, with the wings of warriors. We help these people. I see these guys firsthand with Agent Orange and with all this Gulf War Syndrome crap. And he, uh, their hands shaking and all of the things. Uh, these veterans are suffering and nobody cares about them. So, uh I dedicated this book to them, and uh, I just want to say one thing at the end of the book, and then I'll be done here. Uh, It says, fear of death is a strong enforcer of silence, but guilt, like heart disease, can be a silent killer for the guilty. And so all you guys out there that know anything about 9-11 or about any of these ops, please step forward like me. Step forward. Overcome your fear of death. Look these people, look these satanic people 
in the eye and tell them we are not afraid. We are going to take our nation and our world back away from you with the light. Cody, I can't thank you enough for speak, coming forward. And uh, Oli, I'm so grateful to you for setting this up. And uh, Cody, we want to hear more from you. We need to hear more from you. Uh, I, I I just say uh, uh, on behalf of uh, you know the American people, we owe you a profound debt, and it's crucial that this uh, information gets out. This is Jim Fetzer, your host on The Real Deal, thanking Oli Damagard uh, for setting things up with uh, Cody Snodgrass. I'm in awe, stunned. The revelations are simply breathtaking. Uh, And I look forward, Cody, to speaking with you again. This is Jim Fetzer uh, on behalf of The Real Deal. Thank you all for watching. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. That's what we were told. Most Americans never believed Lee Oswald was the lone gunman, for excellent reasons. In fact, there were at least six shooters who fired from eight to ten shots or more who are identified here. We have, finally, the solution to the greatest murder mystery in history, laid out for the world to see proof after proof after proof. Photos were faked, the body was changed, x-rays were altered, the home movies were fixed. Fifteen experts contribute to a 529-page book with 1,037 photos and diagrams in black and white and color. Hi, this is Gary King. If you'd like JFK, who, how, and why, and would like to support the new JFK show, then go to PatriotRadioBooks.com. That's PatriotRadioBooks.com.